everyone. Before we get started, we wanted to let you know about our venue consulting. We have broken up our offerings into four distinct needs, design, sales and client experience, marketing, and those all-important SOPs. You can take advantage of one or all of these tricky spots for your venue. If you want to learn more and get a few more details, head on over to hustleandgather.com to see how we can work together and reach your venue goals. All right, let's get to today's show. Nobody knows what the future is. And the whole point of taking risks is to just move with fear. Just take a risk with fear because you're never going to get over fear. You just have to learn to like move and push through it. Welcome to Hustling Gather, a podcast about inspiring the everyday entrepreneur to take the leap. I'm Dana. And I'm Courtney. And we are two sisters who love business. On this show, we talk about the ups and downs of the hustle and the reward at the end of the journey. And we know all of the challenges that come with starting a business between operating our wedding venue, doing speaking and consulting, and starting our luxury wedding planning company. We wake up and hustle every day. And today we're talking with Nicole Lowe, CEO and founder of Soul Life. Soul Life is the first telecoach digital ecosystem to help coaches increase growth and profitability while serving their clients. Nicole built a thriving coaching business in California with a proven track record with over 25 years of experience driving sales growth and leading teams. Nicole is a decisive leader, strong communicator, confident in taking risks, confronting challenges, and building relationships. Nicole, welcome to Hustle and Gather. We're so excited to have you. Thank you for having me, ladies. I'm excited to be on here. Sounds like you could have added general badass to that list. <laughs> By the way, for those of you that are listening, we are drinking a Guinness ice cream float. As always, you can find the recipe in our show notes. You shared a little bit about, about your backstory with us and your journey is just amazing and so inspiring. But we'd love for you to tell our listeners a little bit about how you started your career in the TV and film industry and really why you wanted to get out of it. Because it seems like that's the dream for so many people. Yeah, so many people are striving towards that. Yeah. I did it opposite, which if you knew me, you know, if you talk to my family, it's like pretty much MO for Nicole to do everything kind of backwards and opposite. You know, as a as an entrepreneur and a and a CEO and founder of a tech company now in my life, and I look back at 24, I mean, our frontal lobes aren't even developed by then, right? <laughs> so um you know, it's just crazy when I think back and what what we can do. We have so much energy when we're that age, but I had a lot of energy and a lot of tenacity, but not a lot of wisdom at 24. So there was a lot of um, just excitement, building a company, creating a lot of jobs and doing a lot of fun things. But my word, it was a, it was a lot of work. It was a lot of learning on the job. But to answer your question, I was I was producing at the time and the production company that I owned, I did everything from working on commercials, documentaries, television shows. I also did a lot of stuff out at Paisley Park with Prince and worked on some music videos and things like that. And I loved it. You know, I love building jobs and I loved being in charge of the entire production from beginning to end, from conception to completion. I was going to say, I remember when we were speaking to you, um, Previously, you were super good at what you did. You said like you were highly sought after because you always stayed on your budget, right? Yes. So here I am in my 20s, right? And I've got, you know, this great reputation that I'm always on budget and always on budget. So people are hiring me because it was okay, you know, Nicole's gonna gonna do this and she's gonna always be on budget. 
Well, when I moved from Minneapolis to California, I got a job working with the BBC as a local producer. So they had an executive producer in London, and then I was a local producer in California. And one of the reasons why they hired me is because I had this reputation. Okay, great. So I was working with the BBC, which was super fun, wickedly funly, on this crazy uh, show called Bonsai. In fact, you can see it on YouTube. It's this crazy, wacky show. And we were plugging along, having a great time. And I don't know, we're probably like two months into it. And we were scheduled to go to New York and do a scene in New York. And a couple of days before we were supposed to fly out, I get a call from London. And London said, you're over budget. And I said, no, I'm not. You know, <laughs> I was full of piss and vinegar. No, I'm not. <laughs> I'm not over budget. And they said, no, you really are. You remember when that thing happened and we kind of and we're over budget. And I said, no, I'm not. And he said, yeah, you are. I said, well, okay, so what do we do? And they said, well, we want to cancel the New York trip. And I said, no, we can't. We have to go to New York. It's absolutely imperative we go to New York. That's a really important scene. So I pushed and pushed and pushed and pushed and pushed. And finally, the executive producer's like, no, I'm canceling the trip. Well, we were supposed to fly out to New York and we had a 5 a.m. call time at 5 a.m. on September 11th on the first Twin Towers. And so my crew and I were supposed to be on the first Twin Tower at 5 a.m. on 9-11 and we weren't. And it was quite a hard time for everybody in the world. It was a hard time for certainly my friends and family in New York. And it was really, for me personally, a time of shock, introspection on what it is that I, I wanted in life. That was more than just fame and fortune and pride and ego that drove a lot of decision making. When you're in the film industry, the film industry is interesting in that it's very creative, but very creatives uh, get drawn to this in industry who are also very insecure. So you've got a lot of insecurity, a lot of drugs, a lot of chaos. And I just didn't want to be part of that anymore. I wanted something different for my life. And at the time, I was falling in love with my husband, who is a wickedly funny Brit. And he said, you know what? Everything was canceled. You know, the BBC show was canceled. I was working two other gigs. Those were canceled. Everything was canceled. And he said, why don't you come to England with me? And let's just go see what happens. And I said, sure. You know, I fell in love. And by the time I got back, I thought, all right, well, I'm going to make the commitment to get out of the film industry, but I have no idea what I'm going to do. <laughs> so, so that's how I got out. And so what happened next is really trying to see what kind of skills, I mean, here I am. Here I am with an experience of managing $2 million budgets, hiring 100 people, managing things, walking around the city with people knowing who I am as this producer for Prince and having all of this pride and all of this, you know, kind of stuff that comes with it. And now I'm sitting here thinking, how am I going to work in like what I used to say, the normal world? And it was my, Michael who said to me, he says, no, it sounds to me like a producer does a lot of sales. I'm like, oh my gosh, salespeople. I'm not a salesperson. <laughs> so, so I'm like, oh my God, I'm a producer. Are you kidding me? Um, and he says, no, I, I really seriously think that you'd be amazing in sales. So I said, okay, fine. I'll give it a shot. And I, and I knew somebody, a neighbor who said, well, why don't you come help me out a little bit? And I said, okay. So I helped him out and I sold my first deal and I got my first commission check, which was all of 
what I would typically make on a whole project in about a day. <laughs> I thought, oh, well, okay, I could yeah. do sales. I'm okay. <laughs> I don't need to run around town saying I'm a film producer anymore. This is good. So that really kicked off my next career in corporate where a uh, headhunter found me, you know, hired me with this company, this Fortune 500 company. And I started off as a territory manager, then a regional manager. And then ultimately I was in charge of the Western United States. And I took that territory from 20 million to over a hundred million. And back then, you know, it's been interesting, the evolution of kind of, you know, I grew up in the seventies and the eighties and it was a very different time back then for women. There was just this whole movement of women's liberation and the whole sexual revolution. And then you've got Madonna and you've got all this type of stuff, but we were still very much considered either you're really cute or you're super smart and a dork. And there's not much in between. So this job I had, I was literally for five years, the only female in my position and um, had to navigate through a lot of kind of crazy stuff that it still exists today, but certainly <laughs> back then there was things that were still accepted out in public. Um, and through that experience, I learned a lot about how to come into my own and how to come into my own strength. It was during that time that I also became a believer and really brought God into my life and, you know, really went on this journey. And through that journey, I got back to my roots and realized that I am a born entrepreneur. I love, I love building businesses and I love building teams and building something out of nothing. And I really wasn't that good at, I mean, I was good at sales. Obviously I was like the number one salesperson for years, but I just didn't like corporate and I don't think corporate liked me too much. So I left and you know, I think uh, when you and I spoke that first time a few weeks ago, I shared a little bit about that experience. And, you know, it's it's those moments in our life where we look back and we go, wow, had that experience not happened? Like, had I not had that near-death experience on 9-11, I, I don't know that I would have gotten out of the film industry. I may have stayed in it. You know, and who knows what my life would be like now. And in corporate, a year and a half leading up to me to my departing, my life was kind of blasé. I was bored. I was doing the same thing. I was not really interested in my job. I really wasn't interested in the people I was working with. Uh, the culture was very toxic. And it was just was a really difficult, you know, position on many levels because I was fighting who I am. I was really trying to, mm -hmm. I think I was trying to play small. I was trying to go, well, this is what it's expected of me. And I am going to be successful in the lot that I've been given in this life and just sort of settle. And I, what I've realized is that when we settle, things happen, health breaks down, you know, joy breaks down, passion breaks down, relationships break down, where we're not truly living our true passion. And as as a result, a lot happened. My husband, you know, lost his job. We were dealing with the recession. We were dealing with a lot of stuff. And then one day I came home. I traveled a lot. I typically left on Sunday and came home on a Friday. And I came home and my husband looked very white. And I thought, are you okay? And he says, I don't know. I just, I got this tickle in my throat. Well, after several weeks of going into the doctors, urgent cares, hospitals, cardiologist, everybody telling him he's fine. Go home. You're fine. 
And then finally, he thought, well, maybe I should go see a pulmonary specialist. So he went and saw a pulmonary specialist and the pulmonary specialist said, you know what, Michael, something is going on, but it's not your lungs. I'm going to give you the name of Dr. Michael Moran, who's a phenomenal cardiologist, and I want you to go see him. Great. So Michael goes to see him and somehow we find ourselves in a very urgent and uh, what do you call it? Angiogram. So he goes back in the hospital. And so they're doing the angiogram and I'm sitting in the waiting room, still thinking that everything's fine. Cause my husband is very like, there's, there's gotta be, he's gotta be fine. And I saw the nurse coming my way and I knew immediately something was wrong. And he said to me, here's the deal. Your husband is 99% blocked in three main arteries to his heart. And he's about to have a heart attack. And I'm like, okay, can I see him? And he said, no, they're going to do stents. And I'm sitting there going, I have no idea about stents or what that means. And well, um, the cardiologist came out and said that he did fine. And he said, I'm going to send him home with a total prescription to manage your stress. You guys have got to figure this is stress related and also had some, Mm -hmm. you know, something to do with diet as well being insulin resistant and kind of pre-diabetes. So I went home that night and I was, he was in ICU and I was sitting at my computer and just crying, going, how am I going to do this? I'm traveling all the time. I'm in a job I hate. He's recently lost his job. Now we've got the health situation. By five o'clock in the morning, as I'm bawling my eyes out all night long, I found Institute for Integrative Nutrition. And I thought, this looks amazing. I am going to become a certified health coach so I can save my husband and my family. (laughs) And that was kind of the beginning of me transitioning out of corporate into coaching. Yeah, that's kind of like an amazing story. I know. And I have so many, just so many thoughts Mm because I feel like you led multiple lives. Like it's not like you just had one path and and changed. But I think for me, um, I change is really hard for me. And I think that for people who are goal-driven and who have the entrepreneur, entrepreneurial spirit, it is hard for, to change. I'm curious that every time you, cause you kind of had this like roller coaster, right? Like you're like rising to the top, you're doing great. And then you're realizing it's not really want to be, and then you kind of like deeply go down and plummet to mm-hmm. then rebuild back up. That was our, in between those times, did you have, like, did you mourn that life? And did you look back at it and say, I made a mistake or like really struggle with the mental health of things? Because for me, like I get into bouts of depression, honestly, like when things, when I'm in those really low places, um, even though I know it's better for my life, like in the end, I can see it's going to be better. But in the middle of it, I'm like, oh, I don't know. Yeah. Here. Isn't that oh, so true? It's like, you know, we rehash or we're playing forward or rehashing or, playing forward. Mm-hmm. you know, life is just a series of decisions that we make. Right. And some people, if you, if, if you believe that there's a purpose for everything, which I do, I believe everything has a purpose. And I see that very clearly now in my older years, right. <laughs> my older, I'm not that old, but you know, <laughs> as I have gained some, you know, I've gotten kind of life's beaten me up a little bit and I've gotten to where I am now. I look back and think, why did I stress out over those times? I, when I look back on my life, I don't have any regrets, but I have to say leaving the film industry took, took a beating on me. I look back at that and I know why I made that decision and I made the right decision. And I am so grateful I made that decision. But in my low moments, when things were not going my way, oh, 
gosh, I remember nights crying, asking myself, why the hell did I leave Prince? Like here I was, Prince's producer, living a pretty cool life out at Paisley Park every day, experiencing who I think was one of the greatest artists that ever lived. You know, he was he was an extraordinary human being, and I was very privileged and honored to to have had that time with him. And you know, I'll share something with you, which I don't think anybody knows this, <laughs> but it's a lesson of pride. I left Minneapolis because Prince and I had a big fight, and Prince was the guy that you were either you were honored to be out there. And he expected that everyone who was there knew that they were privileged to be in his presence. Well, okay. That's how Dana is. I'm, we've <laughs> had many fights. So. <laughs> so you get what I'm talking about, Courtney. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So, so we got into a fight. So I'm out there at Paisley Park and, and we were going, he was in like, you always knew with him that he was like a really fun Prince when he showed up in all his colors. Like if he showed up in his, all his colors and his white and all that, you, you were like, oh my God, we're going to have a great weekend. This is going to be so fun. And if he showed up in black with his black eye makeup, you knew that it was going to be a really intense, hard couple of days because he was, in that he's a Gemini. I mean, what do you expect? <laughs> he was wearing his black and he was in that mood and it was, it was late and my crew were hungry and they were tired and we were going into overtime. So I, I think I called Takumi, his, his manager, and I was like, hey, we're going to go into overtime. And Prince said, no, I'm not paying overtime. And I said, well, you have to. No, it's not union. And I said, that's not the point. <laughs> it's these guys have been here all day. <laughs> so anyway, so Prince took me in this room, and I'll never forget this as long as I live. He takes me in this room, and he just starts yelling at me. He's just screaming at me. And I'm just kind of taking it and taking it and taking it. And for those who know me, if I fight for myself, I kind of fight. But if I'm going to fight for my team and my family, man, that mama bear comes out and I will fight to the death. And he was, I was so mad at him for wanting to cheat my crew that I just, I lost it on him. (laughs) So I started yelling back and then this is what hit me. He said to me, he goes, you're just a producer. You're just a money person. You will always be behind the screen and your life will be nothing because you do not contribute any more than just basically doing as I tell you to do. And I said, right. Okay, fine. That's how you feel. I quit. (laughs) So I got up and I left. Now, Am I proud of myself for having the courage to do that? Heck yeah, he was treating me terribly. He treated my crew terribly. But I made a serious decision, not only to leave Prince at that moment, but I made a decision to leave Minneapolis. I I made a decision to sell everything Mm -hmm. and I made a decision to move to California. (laughs) That was like a massive decision based on a lot of, you know, pride and pride. Pride and emotion. That is. No, but that's like so real and relatable. I think, especially when you're talking about defending your team. I mean, you want to make me angry, come at me about something about my girls. And even if I may agree with you, like on a some level, like it is, I'm still so protective over them, mm-hmm. you know, but that's, I mean, that is, that is super intense. I think I've definitely said things in anger and that I should not have, um, even though I'm proud that I stood up for myself at the same time. I'm like, maybe I should have handled that a little bit differently. Yeah. 
probably like 90% of the time if I was recording. <laughs> you are great. But that definitely sounds like one of those lives what we call oh shit moments. Yeah. Right. Like definitely when I was like, oh shit, what do I do now? Yeah. Right. And exactly. And what opened up to me after that was extraordinary. I mean, basically I sold everything. I threw my dog in a Jeep and I traveled cross country for 35 days on my own, tenting it. I went through the continental flood. I went up into Canada, kind of came down through Utah and just, I gotta tell you the most incredible time of my entire life. Mind you, the whole time, Prince is calling me the whole time, asking me to come back. And I'm like, no. <laughs> That's amazing. I, I love, I love that. Like yeah. That kind of explains a lot of your like tenacity and yeah. ability to, you know, build it up, break it down, build it up, break it down and build it up again to where you are today. And I loved how in our previous conversation, one of the comments that you made to us that really stuck was just because you're good at something doesn't mean it's for you. Mm-hmm. And I think there's lots of instances in your life and your story where you were really good at something, but it wasn't for you. So I feel like people can really relate with that. And what advice would you give to somebody who feels stuck and torn and they really want to quit their job that they might be really good at or it might be really stable? It sounds like you've quit a lot of stable things and walked through some instability, things, you know? Yes. I think the most important thing is to really understand that everything builds on itself, right? Like, even though my life looks pretty curvy and how I did the twist and the turns and I went the ups and the downs, but really we all experience that. Mine just might be a little bit more obvious in some of the pivots that I've done. And, you know, I think a lot of us have natural born talents, right? We do. Well, every one of us has natural born talents. And sometimes we fall into careers because it's expected from our family. Sometimes we fall into careers because we just weren't given other options or other opportunities. Um, And sometimes we fall into, you know, careers because we just don't know what else is out there. You know, maybe we just don't know or we lack the confidence or the skills or we get into the blip. I think a lot of my, especially when I was coaching women, I think we just have this and men do it too. So I don't want to say it's just women. I think a lot of people get into a blip where they go around the mountain, around and around and around and around in their mind well, I'm good at this, so I should stay, but I don't want to stay. I'm uncomfortable, but yet I'm good at this. I should stay. And you're just like going through the whole thing. Mm -hmm. And if you entertain in your mind, the possibility of going beyond that, then all of a sudden our brains go, well, I I don't have a bachelor's degree or, oh, I don't know anybody, or I don't have the skills, or I might have to take a cut and pay, or I'm not quite sure. Nobody knows what the future is. And the whole point of taking risks is to just move with fear, just take a risk with fear because you're never going to get over fear. Right. You just have to learn to like move and push through it. So for somebody who is good at something, but miserable in the job, then you know what? You're actually not that great at it. Cause I'll tell you why it's not coming from the heart. You're just going through the motions. And that tells me that that person who's feeling that way has a greater purpose and a greater opportunity in their life that they're not seeing because they're not open to it because they're, they're staying stuck in what feels comfortable for them. So my first advice would be to, to pause, to reflect, to be open, to try to quiet your mind and listen and look for signs of dreams and passion and joy and, and, and follow the grace in your thoughts not the fears, not the anxieties, not the negative thinking, but follow the grace. Oh my gosh. So many things. I absolutely love it. I feel like I'm kind of like when you were talking about how 
they're like, oh, you need to reduce your stress. And you're like, oh, okay, great. You just <laughs> loaded this thing on me. I feel the same way about sometimes with people and they're just like, just do it, just do it. And, and I agree with that motto when you're talking about being an entrepreneur, like, yes, you do this and you go in, but there's this, this expectation that you're supposed to be so confident about it. And you're supposed to feel so good about it that you're, that you're just doing it with, and you don't have that fear. You don't have that, that niggling in the back of your mind, like, am I doing the right thing? I mean, there are so many times in our journey, I looked at my husband and I was like, I'm so sorry we're here. Like, <laughs> I am so sorry. I put our family through this. And he's just like, why are you apologizing? Like, cause I can, I feel that I've made a mistake, you know, even though I, I didn't, but at the time I, I, I felt that emotion of like, what am I doing? Like, this is all going to fail and crumble and we're going to have no more 401k and you know, all the worst possible scenarios that are going to happen in my mind. But it's so real that you have to take the fear with you. Like it's not going to go away. You just got to pack it up and bring it all along like a buddy. Come along. Yeah. I love that. I like to buy a rolly cart. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that is really beautiful. And I think the two worst words in the English dictionary are what if, you know, we can what if ourselves into the grave. Literally. Absolutely. Your husband's like, no, babe, that's not my reality. You're fine. (laughs) You know what you're doing. (laughs) But in our minds, you know, I think we build things up and we build up stories in our mind based insecurity, wanting to please, you know, all that other stuff. And expectation based on other people's expectation, like what you think your life should look like, not what it is. But I love, I love your journey. Like I, I've been thinking about it a little bit lately because I've been reading a couple of blog posts on like, what are the four things that people at the end of their life regret? Or like, what do, if you were 90 and giving someone else advice, like what advice would you give? And it's really interesting what people value at the end of their life, like not fearing so much, not playing that what if game, jumping into those big decisions, like taking the leap, starting the business, doing something big, you know, don't let, don't let the what ifs control you, spending more time with family. Like, they talk about this life that they that they wish they would have crafted all these years ago. And just kind of thinking back on it, I think it's a beautiful thing to be able to look at your life and to see all the past lives within this lifetime without actually having to die to experience it. And I feel like I'm talking to you and it's like that, like what a wonderful thing to be able to have past lives within this life. And you're on your third life now or fourth life. I don't know how many, how many you've shared with us, but getting to your soul life journey. So you're kind of like a problem solver in that way too. Like you got back to uh, becoming a health coach to help your husband get through like this kind of health crisis, which kind of snowballed into coaching other people as a health coach. And then you realized it was really actually hard to get uh, clients, correct? As a health coach. So that's where Soul Life came from, right? So tell us a little bit about Soul Life and how you Sure. Back no, I love that. You know, it kind of just all happened, right? And this is a cool moment when you look back in your life and go, oh, why did I make all those decisions? Well, I'm so glad that I made all those decisions because every one of those decisions I made in every one of those lifetimes, as you say, that I experienced putting into soul mm-hmm. life in, in every way, it's all coming together, which is amazing. But I started health coaching. I started helping some other clients just, um, I think I kind of started off with people who were dealing with diabetes and weight issues, kind of working with people that way quickly started working with my cardiologist or Michael's cardiologist and started working with his patients. Then I started working with a dentist who is sending me uh, clients and, and a couple other doctors as well. And then during that time, 
you know, I am just full of business experience and marketing and advertising and sales. And so I just constantly started finding myself talking to my clients about, you know, starting a new business and helping them start a new business. And I found out that I'm really good at coaching that. So I started coaching other coaches and it was through that process, just hearing their stories, the same story over and over again. I went to the certification school. I dropped $20,000 or however much they dropped. And the school was amazing. And they got this incredible certification. But when they graduate, what? What happens then? So 82% of coaches actually go out of business within the first two years because of two things. One is they don't have the experience in business, in sales and marketing, or a lot of them don't. And two, it's really hard to find the right clients. And what I mean by the right clients, I mean... Sure, you can go to networking groups. Sure, you can do referrals, but there's got to be a match, right? There's got to be a match in our life cycle as a client of coaching that matches with the coach and the experience that that coach can impart on you and can walk that journey with you. So, for example, if I'm a health coach and I'm working, you know, that that my natural uh, skills are to work with people on health and wellness, but I'm over here with no marketing experience and I'm trying to be a marketing coach, that's not going to work. Okay. So as I was helping these coaches, their story was this. I graduated. I don't know how to start a business. I don't know how to find clients. And I don't know how to be efficient. I'm dealing with disparate technologies, trying to use schedulers, trying to use email, text messaging, G Drive, forms, DocuSign, all of this stuff. None of it really works together very well. And I'm finding that I'm spending 60, 70% of my time just trying to run my back office. I can't turn a profit. So I thought to myself, well, that's a problem and there's got to be a better way. <laughs> so you say that shark's tank. So I said to my husband, I went to my husband who, mind you, knows my past and knows me very well. And I said, hey, and he says, what? And he says, I'm going to start a tech company. <laughs> but he literally looked at me and he says, of course you are. <laughs> the only logical thing. Mind you, I can't run a remote control with the TV to save my life. So he's like, hey, honey, pay. you know, let's do this. I said, okay. I said, well, we got to get out of Southern California because it just was not the best area for us to, to build the company. And my, my husband's British. So we, we kind of wanted to get back on the East coast. So it'd be an easier flight and all that kind of stuff. So long story short, I ended up in, in Raleigh, Durham, and this is where I started Soul Life. And it's been an amazing, you know, it's been an amazing run so far. I feel like that's a true entrepreneur mm-hmm. too, is when you see a need and you're like, I can do this better. And then I think it's also one of those things where it's not just, I can do this better because I know how to do it. Therefore I'm going to, my coaching business is going to excel, but it's also like recognizing the industry and saying, Hey, like this could benefit so many people if I do this. And I love that. What's been the most rewarding part of that journey, that soul life journey? Oh, I just love just being an entrepreneur, just waking up every day and having something new and different and a challenge and stretching my brain and building teams, um, seeing the results of creating prototypes and getting it in front of customers' hands and hearing, oh my gosh, I've had so many people literally well up in tears when they've seen the prototype. And I kid you not. And the word that I hear over and over again about what we're serving up to humanity is we're bringing relief. We're bringing a tremendous amount of relief, not only for the coaches to run their business, but truly, honestly, I, 
we're not meant to do life alone. Mm -hmm. We are not, we're just not meant to do life alone. And especially here in America, we are taught from a very young age that suck it up, figure it out, go think your way to riches and don't ask for help because if you do, that's a sign of weakness. But we're not meant to do it alone. We're just not. And so the greatest reward for me is just seeing how soul life is going to be part of, I think, normalizing that we're not meant to do alone, do life alone and normalizing to do life with somebody who can help, a companion, a trusted coach that can help you throughout your whole life cycle. You know, somebody who can help you get into college, somebody who can help you with that first marriage, that first newborn, you know, maybe a divorce or a job loss or dealing with aging parents and trying to figure out how to navigate all that. A coach can help you with every single aspect of your entire life and throughout your whole life life cycle. And my greatest passion is that we will be known as the company that is a trusted companion that's going to be with you throughout your whole life. And that is what fills me up every day. I love that. So do you, you mentioned this before that you felt like, you know, all these different phases that you hadn't quite, you were trying to figure out how to come into your own and you weren't doing what you can maybe consider your heart's work, like what you were supposed to do. And do you feel like you have found Absolutely. A hundred percent. And you know, what's really fun is we we're actually going to launch a podcast. And so guess what? I get to tap into my my film days and my production days and we need to do marketing videos. So it's really cool. I get to bring all, all that in. <laughs> but yes, I believe this is this is my purpose. Um, everything that I have done in my past is leading up to this moment in this time. I love that. I like I love the the uh, mission statement. Like let's not glamorize, you know, a tough chin as like the attribute that we're all searching for. Like it just feels like life be glamorized being able to like, you know, take a punch and still stand and take another punch and still stand because life's going to hand you punches, right? We all know that we've all been through hard times in life, but it's like, there's this glamorization of being able to contain it all and still be a self-made person and walk through it on your own. And I love that we're like, that stigma is, is going, you know, it's leaving. Let's move on from that. I mean, I just felt like personally, like what I think there's been multiple times in my life that I've been hard, but I, the one that I felt like so out of my element really was becoming a mother. Mm-hmm. It rocked my marriage so hard. And I remember there was a point in it. I looked at my husband and I was like, this is too hard. Like, this is too hard. And, and I, you know, love my husband. Like he is like my person. And to say that statement and to recognize we've gotten to that point and I didn't know how, and I didn't know why, and I didn't know what was causing it. I can only imagine how much more joyful being a first time mom would have been, or how much, just how much easier it would have been to walk through life with somebody who was helping me understand the hormone changes, the emotions, the role changes. I mean, like I'm no longer just Sam's wife, I am Ada's mother and I wasn't teaching and I um, was launching this business. So I was like, the hell am I? Mm-hmm. Like, I don't even know who I am. Like, I'm just this person that's birthed a human and that's all the world looks at me now. Like, that's it. That's my value. Like, and losing that identity was really hard, but I really love that. And I, 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 I never even thought of coaching because I think I always think of therapy. So can you tell a little bit about people who are listening. And I think there is a misconception too. Like what's the difference between having a coach 
and having what you would like a therapist? That's a great question. Um, first of all, just to go back just a few steps. Lena, thank you so much for sharing that beautiful story and the courage and the authenticity. And just it really resonated with me when you were talking about going through that. And I think it's a it, it, more people need to hear that because that's, you know, I'm not a mother, but I have a lot of friends who have gone through it. And there are some massive changes that go through that experience. And I don't think we talk about it enough. You know, we were, my girlfriend and I on a, on a different different level, we were talking about menopause, right? And we we're saying that, you know, everybody thinks that menopause is, you know, hot flashes and, you know, night sweats and things like that. But there are a hundred other things that go on that people don't talk about. The loss, you know, the loss of the feeling of going through the change, the loss of being a woman and, you know, all that type of stuff and the depression and the sadness. And we just don't talk about it enough. In the movies, the movies tell you that when you become pregnant and have a child, it is going to be the most magical, perfect time of your entire life because somehow a magic wand is going to be waved and everything is perfect. And here you go, Cinderella. <laughs> and that's not life. Life is a lot more messy than that. So, and I think too, like infertility is so prevalent and on the surface, like it's hard to even yeah. complain about what so many people are fighting for, you know? And even though it's, it's not the same thing, it still can be very hard, you know? Even though it's a blessing, it can also be a great thing and a bad, like a really hard thing at the same time, you know? Yeah. And I think just acknowledging that it's going to be life-changing and it's going to be hard, even though it's going to be super joyful. Too. I think it's about expectations, right? Like I think such great expectations and how we should be and how we should act and what it should be like during these times. But life is messy. <laughs> it's not, there is no perfect playbook and there certainly is not a rule book for parenting. I mean, you have a thousand books out there, right? <laughs> so, true. so to ask it, so to answer your question, thank you for the question, because it's a great distinction. Therapy, coaching, consulting. Okay. So if you've got therapy on one end of the spectrum and you have consulting on the other end of the spectrum, coaching lies somewhere in between, right? Touches a little bit at the, at that ending point of, of therapy and into like some coaches do have consulting businesses as well. The thing about therapy is that it's a very distinct profession and, and it's great. I mean, there's many different forms of therapy from working with Alcoholics Anonymous to drug addiction, to PTSD, to psychological issues, mental health issues, all sorts of things. And therapy is very traditional. You go to see a therapist, you, you sit down, you talk with a the therapist and you, and you talk through those deep issues and that's good, Right. Well, how coaching is different is that coaching is actually where therapy ends, coaching picks up because in fact, coaching can be part of your everyday life. So coaching can say to somebody who maybe has been in therapy and say, okay, great. Well, so we need to create better habits. We need to create more confidence. We need to build a, a better support group around you. We need to, you know, find that better job. A coach will come with you like a guide and walks up that mountain with you, hand in hand. Let's do it together because you know what? We're going to do this journey together. And so coaching really can be part of your everyday life to help you with those habits, coach you along the way, help you find your blind spots in certain areas, and just really be that accountability partner and also a cheerleader and just a really positive guide that helps you walk through what you're walking through at that moment. Well, any, I know, so like as a serial entrepreneur, I totally understand how entrepreneurship doesn't end. And I, and I love how you can be an entrepreneur 
how you've talked about being an entrepreneur and loving it in multiple professions, right? It can just be about loving entrepreneurship. Mm-hmm. But I got to that point too with C&D and like, oh, don't you love weddings? I'm like, I love weddings, but I love business more. I love my venue, but I love my team more. You know, and I just realized at some point in the last several years that it's not about what I do. It's the spirit, the entrepreneurship spirit in me is what I identify as, you know? Can I ask you two a question? Uh-huh. Sure. So I would love to hear from, from you two and you're talking about that entrepreneurial spirit, which you two clearly have and you've done such a great job with the, with the businesses that you've built. I love hearing you talk about finding your own way in the company too, and how you divided and conquered. How was that for you? Just kind of figuring out who's going to do what and developing your own skills. I'd love to hear what that was like for you. I think what's really hard is we are very different people and um, I, well, I, th- I would say we are very different people, but what's, what's hard is we didn't think that we were right until we started a company we together. We were like, you think nothing like me. I thought we were all white. Yes. Right. Yes. So I thought I was like getting into business with someone who was like the same mind and function the same, but um, it was the Courtney's right. It was a lot of tears. We I did therapy as well um, together because it was necessary for our relationship. But I think re- recognizing one, how we process information was really important. I am somebody, Courtney will tell you, like I move, like I have a fire under my ass all, all the, the time. time. Everything's urgent. Everything needs to get done now. And that's just how I am. And Courtney does not function that way. Um, and so recognizing my expectations. So like when I needed something, I will always follow it up with, I need this done by this time. And in my mind, it's not going to get done that day. And I can't be upset that it's not done in three hours. I can be upset if it's not done by the time frame that I said I needed it to get done. So it was just tempering my expectations um, was a lot of it. And and really figuring out what our, what our strengths were. Like, I do not like dealing with money. It stresses me out. I don't sleep. I just don't sleep. Like I like am a pretty forgetful person actually. So that's true. There was a very brief moment that she did the finances. It was very stressful. And then yeah. she looked at me one day and was like, I hate doing this. And I was like, I really hate you doing it. Yeah. So I love that. let's come up with something different. And, and I think too, it allows me in a lot of ways, I feel very protective over it. And this is like where my very older sisterness comes in is I feel protective over like what the girls bring to her or what I know she can't say no to. Because Dana is a yes, 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 yes person. And, I'm, and I'll, I'll tell the girls at certain points, like do not ask Dana anything because she will tell you yes and she will mean no. And people will pay hell for it. Mostly Dana, right? And that's what made her a great planner and made her a really terrible planner too because she has no boundaries when it comes to people and saying yes and when she means no. So being able to recognize that just because we can do something or just because Dana can do something doesn't mean that she should and doesn't mean it's going to be what's best for the company long term and taking something off of her plate that she might be super able to do because she's very able, like she's way more like able than I am to like read something and do something and be functional with it. But that doesn't mean it has to be her all the time. You know what I mean? Absolutely. You two are so fortunate to have your amazing sister energy and love and uh, relationship. And then to be able to be open to therapy and working through it and kind of finding the yin and yang in your relationship. I think that's cool. When you two were talking, I was thinking about a really good mentor of mine who gave me some really good advice the other day. And he said, you know, it's not about managing your schedule. Everybody talks about managing your schedule. It's not about that. It's about managing your energy. 
So there was a beautiful moment, Dave, where you're like, you know what? I need 20 and 30 minutes for everybody to get out of my space and let me just be in my own space to work it out. And then I can come back to the world, <laughs> to the living. You know, that's managing energy, right? It's like identifying the fact, because I, I relate to that. I'm I'm the same way. I'm, I'm, my husband knows, oh, is this like you have to go for a walk time? Yes. <laughs> I can go for a walk, figure it out, and I'll be back. <laughs> Well, we are honored to have you. Uh, we, I think the minute we got off the phone, we were like, this is going to be a good one. Yeah, we're, just, we might, we're going to push her up the list. Yeah, no, we just love your story. Mm-hmm. We feel like you have great energy. We love your insight. And we're just so, so, so grateful that you spent the afternoon with us today. So yeah. thank you so much. Thank you. It's great to be here. Have a wonderful day. Thanks everyone for gathering us today to talk about the hustle. To learn more about Nicole Lowe and her business, visit soullife.com or follow them on Instagram at soullife.inc. And to learn more about our hustle, visit cndevents.com, thebradfordnc.com, and hustleandgather.com or follow us on Instagram at cndevents, at thebradfordnc or at hustleandgather. And if you like this show, be sure to subscribe and leave us a rating and a review. This podcast is a production of Earfluence. I'm Courtney. And I'm Dana. And we'll talk to you next time on Hustle and Gather.